0: Another extraordinary message on Gil Athletics Connections. Well, welcome to the show. If it goes to appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most, Every season needs a voice of reason, speaking the growth. Got to prep for you, carry the load. It's coffee to the soul. For those of us who stay on the go. Proper handoff to stay in the zone. What you packing for the road. There's more than one way to the go. Take notes, that's paying your toe. It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear. It can't happen to you listen with both ears. You can't mentor without a mentor. Here's of, of experience. You can reinvent those years. Every plan's got a standard to live up to. And the price sacrifice. Can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight not a win or lose it's not a ploy but vice so y'all can make more moves it's not about how to it's all about why you don't know till you know who you are inside six million ways to tie choose none so we all cross the finish line the work ain't done so we learn from the experts we all got to put in the legwork guild athletics use a network it's all about connections put together for the profession to every track coach could be blessed
1: Here we go. We're back for the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. I'm so humbled to be your host, Mike Cunningham here, National Business Development Manager for Gill Athletics. And today, this is going to be interesting. I'm glad you pressed play on this one, because this is going to be a lot of fun. And really, I think this is going to be uh, one of the more value-given type podcasts that we have done here in a while. Help me welcome, he's from Second Baptist School down in Houston, the great state of Texas. He's a first-year distance. He's not, he's not really a track coach, everybody, but we're going to find out what in the heck is he doing on a track podcast. Help me welcome the wise, the wonderful Mr. Doctor, the Mr. Doctor. See, oh. uh, who knows what this guy is. Dr. Chris
2: Hobbs. Chris, how are you, sir? Mike, thank you for having me on here. Uh, I, I love podcast hosts because you guys are just speaking so much life and energy uh, into the life of your audiences. So thank you for what you do for coaches. I am uh, really grateful that you brought me on.
1: Yeah, this is going to be fun. And I, you know, I didn't do this in our pre-interview. It, it, you know, you went to doctor school for, and got PhD for a reason. Is it okay to call you Chris, or do I need to call you Dr. Hobbs, Dr.
2: Chris? Um, you can call me whatever you want. Just don't call me an idiot. <laughs> now, okay.
1: Yeah. Well, you'll, you'll, yeah. I always tell people, I ain't trying to lose customers over this thing. So you're cool. We will not be calling you that. We, we had Dave Smith, head coach of Oklahoma State University on the podcast a few weeks ago and learned that he also had received a PhD. So I was like, oh, I have to call you Dr. Dave
2: now. Like that's a, that's a big deal. What What is your PhD in? So I've got a, a doctor of education in educational leadership, um, but I wrote my dissertation on, uh, the leadership behaviors of athletic directors and how it influences the self-belief of their varsity head coaches and so um I, I've I got a lot of passion for particularly coaches in an educational setting
1: awesome and that's why you're here today so Chris reached out we follow each other on Twitter of course everything leads back to Twitter for me uh, if you're not following me on Twitter you might be one of the only people so let's 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 correct that head over to twitter at mike cunningham all one word and let's get connected over there so today what we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a lot of things that i think are really Instrumental and valuable to coaches and to the development of coaches. So uh, Chris here has an extensive. You already heard what his PhD and his program was. Has an extensive background on leadership. He was an athletic director, so I think there's a lot of for, a lot of things for us to learn about the priorities of an athletic director and how that relates to a track and and cross country coach. Uh, we're gonna talk about. This is his first year. He he dipped his toes in. He actually coached. Distance runners this year, Uh, we're going to learn why. It's kind of a a really uh, awesome story, actually. Uh, So we're going to get his take on how that was, uh, how that went down this year, and then also because he's and we'll learn he's got an extensive, successful background as a basketball coach. Well, we're going to talk about well, is are there any similarities? What you know, as you look at coaches and different sports and different disciplines, are are there similarities, differences, and what can we we learn about that? So Chris, with your background, first of all, let's maybe take a thirty thousand foot level. Give us a little bit. Bit more background: What you do today? You talked about what you, uh, your uh, PhD, your Doctor of Education was in. Give us a little bit of a background on on Chris and your your background that you that uh, experiences that you've had.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, career long in education, twenty three years in education. Um, I'm a New Jersey native, and so spent a lot of time in education outside New York City. Some time in the Washington D.C. area, time in West Palm Beach, Florida, and now here in Houston, Texas. My parents are educators, so it's it's really the family business. Uh, and then for me, for the large portion of the f- the first part of my career, education was a huge, or I'm sorry, athletics was a huge part of that. And so, spent uh, I believe it's about 18 years as an athletic director, uh, 17 of those years as a varsity basketball coach, uh, and just really had uh, phenomenal experiences. Got to work with phenomenal people, uh, and then it, those were kind of the things where I experimented with a lot of the leadership concepts that have led me now to do what I do now, and that's. I'm the executive director of admissions, marketing, communications, and advancement for a uh, a fast-growing school system here at Second Baptist School on the west side of Houston. I thought my coaching days, my athletic days were behind me, uh, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, later how I ended up coaching distance this year, but during my time as an AD and as a coach, Um, If you do anything long enough, you have some real uh, mountaintop experiences. You also have a lot more valley experiences. That would be 100% true for me. Uh, And so my mountaintop experiences, um, uh, quite a few uh, Coach of the Year awards as a varsity basketball coach. 2018, uh, Coach and AD Magazine named me one of the top 40, under 40 leaders in sport industry in the country. And then 2019, I was named the uh, the BSN, uh, National High School Athletic Director of the Year, Wrote a dissertation during that time. Uh, I sat. I was the lead blogger for Three Dimensional Coach. Uh, for those of you that are out there familiar with 3D Coach, and I currently uh, now sit on the um, the. I'm a fellow at the Baylor Center for School Leadership, uh, helping them with some thought leadership on general leadership in schools. And yet. <laughs> I keep falling back into coaching roles and it was uh, an absolute blast this year to coach distance runners in cross country season and then here in in the track and field season as well.
1: You know, uh, congratulations first of all a lot of great accolades that obviously were earned and deserved. uh 40 for 40 or 40 under 40. You know, I have worked really hard. I've never gotten 30 under 30, 40. 40. So I just keep going <laughs> to the next age bracket. I've got about three more years to maybe make a 50 under 50. And then I'm, you know, <laughs> the good news is the older I get, the bigger the number gets. So next year, next decade, I've got 60 under 60. Well, I'll get there one day, man. Uh, I, I just, it's a, it's a real passion. I'm going to get there one day. As, as you
2: get older, Mike, the the birth gets wider too, right? I like know. It's only 20. 30. Now. I mean, 50 people, that's a lot of people. You got a chance,
1: man. And, and, you know, especially after I get past 60, the number of applicants goes down. You know, we we have some uh, early <laughs> outs. So, you know, I've got some, I've got a, the pool gets smaller and the, the, the wards get bigger. So we're, we're, we're going to get there one day. Maybe it's hundred under hundred. We'll see. We'll see. I, I make that same thread about masters track and field. You know, I look at these amazing, really amazing 80, 90 year old, uh, hundred plus year old men and women who are, you know, doing the hundred and 400. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I think I can do that one day. And then I'm like, yeah, I I can barely get out of bed now at 46. What am I even thinking about? Uh, Chris, so maybe... What do you think about, what if we start first on the athletic director side uh, and talk about some of the things that you've seen, you weren't coaching track and field, but you oversaw track coaches and also oversaw football and basketball, tennis, et cetera. Maybe talk about, there's sometimes some frustration on the track coach level with our athletic directors. And sometimes that frustration is uh, sparked by, you know, we don't get enough budget. Uh, the AD never comes to the meets, but they're at every football game. Uh, the AD barely knows my assistant coaches' names, but you know, uh, has all the football coaches over for dinner. I'm making up things there. Let's start there, and that'll I think lead us into your passion and the uh, avenue that you started going through with actual leadership training, like you know, as far as your education and and things like that. So, talk to us about an athletic director. Uh, maybe kind of clear up some misconceptions of what uh, what what an athletic director does and their priorities and things like that.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, the AD role, uh, I think in the last five years, uh, probably accelerated by the pandemic. Um, I think the AD role is one of the roles probably in any industry that has evolved the fastest and changed the fastest over the last five years. Um, we used to not even care whether or not our events were live broadcast. Now every single event, even on the high school level, feels like it has to be live broadcast. Um, social media used to be a nice little add on. And now you've got to have full blown social media strategies, not only just for your athletic department, but probably for every varsity program in your in your, in your department. Uh, and that obviously is even more intensified in the collegiate level. So those would just be two quick examples uh, of how the role has changed from things that we didn't even worry about five years ago that now take up an enormous amount of time. And the things that ADs were worried about five years ago, they're still worried about. And so the job has really become incredibly robust. I think it's one of the most robust leadership opportunities of any position on any school campus. Uh, and so, and then you throw in the combustible nature of competitive athletics on top of it, and you're going to have yourself a, a lot of fun uh, leading. And so that was certainly my experience. Uh, As an athletic director, uh, I would say I I wrote about this for 3D Coach, about how important it is for athletic directors to get into the stream of their athletic departments. Uh, And if you literally think about jumping into the flow of something, and it does require discipline, uh, but you've got to get out there and you've got to be with your people. I would also remind my varsity head coaches who I felt enormously responsible to that, hey, listen, there's one of me. I promise you, I love you. I care about the work you're doing, but there's one of me, and I believe at the time there's 26 of them, and I told them, if I don't know about what's going on in your program, it's not because I don't care, it's because you haven't come to me. And so that was kind of my way of reverse engineering to them, putting it on them, I uh, man, I want to hear from you, but there's 26 of you and one of me, so I will hear about whoever comes to me. And I almost put it on my coaches to say, like, if I don't know about what's going on in your program, like, I want you to fix that. I want to know, but I want you to fix that by coming to me. And I would tell coaches, like, hey, if you feel like someone's getting more attention than you, I'm 100% sure it's because they're coming to me more than you are. And so in some ways, I would invite the chaos. Uh, And so that's something to think about as a track and field coach or a coach of any sport where you're a little concerned that maybe your administration's not paying attention a lot. Um, I would be regularly including them on things that are very exciting. Uh, and then when you come to them with your request, or you come to them with your your problem that you need resolved, uh, you've greased the wheels by letting them know regularly all the good things that are going on. And so, uh, and then all of a sudden it feels like your AD knows about everything because you've, you know, he's opened the door to feed you information. So that's kind of how it evolved for me. And that's where I got drawn into Um, watching very closely some incredible coaches um, in the realm of distance running, in the realm of track and field, in the realm of swimming, in the realm of tennis. Uh, We had some incredible coaches that I was responsible to lead and supervise, and they were just doing outstanding work. And that's where my eyes were really open to how powerful um, the opportunity is that um, what I would call Olympic sport coaches or maybe individual sport coaches have um it the opportunity to impact kids and it was awesome along the way my son happened to fall in love with distance running uh and so all of a sudden now i've I, you know it's it's a loaded it's a loaded situation for me where i better be paying attention because my kids coming home every night talking to me about it uh and so uh, big shout out to bill mitchell who is the cross country and distance coach at the King's Academy in West Palm Beach, Florida. Um, he got a hold of my son about seventh grade. Okay. He ran a great program. Uh, my kids sipped the Kool Aid, um, and my son CJ will go run on scholarship at Dallas Baptist University for Jacob Phillips uh, next year. Uh, and it all started when um, he just decided to show up for summer running uh, with our cross country coach. And so um, I've just had a wonderful experience with some wonderful coaches as their AD.
1: So if you put your Track coach had on. Hel- help us understand. So, in in the sense of what the track coach is is looking at and seeing at and interacting with the AD, help that track coach understand the AD a little bit better. What are maybe the top two, three, four? You you're right. In fact. I love that you brought up like live broadcast. We, we had, uh, um, the, uh, director of NFHS network, Mark Kost, uh, Kosky on the podcast, a well dear friend. He was a track athlete himself, uh, back in Albuquerque. So it was great to have him on the podcast, uh, as we're great partners with the NFHS. And, you know, he talked about the NFHS network and how, I mean, it was amazing how many football games, basketball games, uh, were being, uh, streamed. It was, I mean, unbelievable. Like, like, you think that every college game is streamed. Unbelievable amount of high school games are streamed. So you brought that up in social media marketing. That was awesome. But if you had to help a track coach understand, like, I'm frustrated. My my AD doesn't do X, Y, or Z. What are, like, maybe the top three things an AD is 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 prioritized? Like, what, like, if I don't do anything as an athletic director, these are the three things I'm really going after. So I'm I understand you want me to know every track coach kid's name or track kid's name and everything, but here are the top things that boy, if I don't do, we just crumble.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um so I would I would put very, very high on the list uh communicating with their coaches. Um and then the reason they're communicating with their coaches um are are two. There's many, but here's two. Number one, to make sure that the coaches are all aligned to the mission of the athletic department, which ultimately speaks up to the mission of the educational institution. Uh, And so you're communicating, um, Patrick Lencioni would call them CROs, chief reminding officers. And so coaches are hired to have tunnel vision. uh, And the athletic director's job is to help that coach synthesize their tunnel vision on their program with the greater reality of the athletic department the greater good of the educational institution. And so athletic directors should really be communicating to coaches first about missional alignment, uh, helping them get their heads up out of their tunnel vision, which they're hired to do. So it's not wrong that coaches have tunnel vision. The AD just has a job to help them look up every so again and see the entire landscape. And so for me, that was a huge priority to me. That looks like, you know, weekly email to the coaches. That looks like regular one-on-one check-ins. That looks like, Hey, how often am I present at practice? Practices were actually easier to be present at um, than the competitions. And it's honestly, it's the time where you get a chance to probably have a a healthier interaction with your coach than during competition day. Emotions are high, you're busy, there's a lot going on. Hard to have authentic interaction with a coach on competition day. And so practices are, so for me, those were the priorities, communicate to the coaches. um, And then you know the 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 next priority that I had was, you know, hey, how are we celebrating uh, the pockets of excellence? In every athletic department, there's pockets of excellence. And this is a, a tidbit for track and field coaches, track and field coaches, make sure that they may or may not read it. That, that's not up to you, but make sure that you're constantly feeding your athletic director information on the achievement of their kids. As it pertains to where are their let's say their numbers right like their their distances their times, you know their heights. Where are their numbers ranking in school history? Um, That's a really easy way to say hey. Jimmy just ran the eighth right. best time in school history between Texas mile, between mile split, Texas mile split here in Texas and athletic.net, those two platforms, you can dig that information up in three clicks, mm-hmm. you know, and so communicate that to your AD and it'll stir the pot and raise his awareness, put you on his radar, put your kids on his radar. And next thing you know, he's sitting in a board meeting talking about, Hey, did you know, we had three kids finish top eight, you know, in the 400 last week, that's unbelievable. You know, like, And so track and field coaches, if you're sending the good regularly to your athletic director, um, you will inadvertently, subconsciously tune your AD's radar to what's going on in your program. And then when you have that bump in the road, it's just a whole lot easier to navigate it together because you've, you've packed so much good, if you will, into the checking account, making a withdrawal on something is a whole lot more reasonable. And so I tried to set that up that if you will, that that's, um, that back and forth, that reciprocal cycle with my coaches, but coaches, you don't need an AD to think that through for you. You can go ahead and do it yourself. And kind of what, what some thought leaders would say, manage up, um, with your athletic director, you know, don't, don't talk, to, don't make it be the only time you talk to them is when you want something or her that you want something, right. You're walking in with a big fat ten, five figure PO, you know, right. and like, don't make that the only time you've talked to him. Um, and so that would be like, High priority, communicate to coaches, missional alignment, um, institutional alignment, department wide alignment, um, help coaches think way down the road, you know, track and field coaches. If you're looking for more attention, cross country coaches, maybe even more so because you coach such a very specific type of athlete. If you're looking for more attention from your athletic director, get to them earlier and earlier and earlier about your, your schedule, about your season needs, your purchases, your Booster request, the earlier you get, you know, early bird gets the worm. The earlier you get that information in, the more likely it is that you have the inside track to get in what you're hoping to get for your program. And so thinking down the road and then communicate the good, those would just be some things that have gone in the past.
1: Now, certainly, there's some coaches here in Europe right now, and in their specific example, they're like, "Yeah, I tried that, and I just never my ad never said good job or never even hit the reply button, etc." Would you recommend that you still do it? Because here's what I'm thinking: is a lot of times we create our own story, right? Like, "Hey, I emailed my ad the three times we set school records, I never heard back. He just doesn't he or she does just doesn't care about us." When maybe the reality is. Uh, Mr. or Mrs. AD is extremely busy. It was in state conference meetings, whatever, blah, 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 uh, has a personal life, by the way, maybe things aren't going great at home, whatever, health, etc. And wanted to and just didn't get back to you. And so we quit. That communication because we don't hear that feedback that we think we should should have had. Do you recommend continuing in any way, or, or are there other avenues besides just emailing? What, what what are some other best practices to communicate with AD, whether they are communicating back or not that we know of?
2: Yeah, yeah. So um, Stephen Pressfield has a book called uh, The War of Art, uh, and it's really a, a book written to creatives. Uh, people that work in creative industries. So everything from artists to authors to content creators to public speakers, you know, where you're, you're, you're crafting and creating. And so writing emails um, is a lot like that. Communicating is a lot like that. And he's got this concept in the book called never be afraid to speak into the dark. Uh, And so, you know, I would, I would really encourage coaches to a degree um, to keep just speaking into the dark for a couple of reasons. There's actually benefit to you, Um, to write. Writing is an intense form of thinking. And when you write or type in this context, when you write or type, it forces you to think intensely uh, about your kids, about your program, about the calendar, about the vision for things, about what kids really are accomplishing. And so I think the rhythm of communicating is a way to sharpen your thinking about your program. Um, You know, uh, Craig Rochelle in the the book, uh, Winning the War in Your Mind, Um, Jordan Peterson, they both have this same concept that how important it is to think about what you're thinking about. Well, how do you do that? Well, one of the ways you do that is you just write, you type. And so, um, I would really encourage coaches. There's a lot more benefit than just whether or not your AD is paying attention to those writings. There's a lot more benefit to you as you lead your program. Um, and then you just never know there's something about being relentless. You know, uh, there's a passage in the book of Matthew in the Bible. It says, you know, um, ask and ye shall find, you know, knock and you, it'll be answered. Right. Um, seek, ask, knock, you know, you just keep being relentless about it. And it's amazing how, uh, just at the most unexpected time, one of those things pays off for you. So I think there's a lot of value in being a gracious, not obnoxious, you know, but being okay with the fact, even when you don't get the response you're looking for, that there's a lot of value in, in putting that information together regularly you know, little
1: known fact in the first draft of Matthew, it also said, wait around and it'll just happen. But they took that part out because it just doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's really good. First of all, I'm picking up very quickly here. You are obviously a reader. I knew you were a writer, but you're obviously a reader. You're dropping some great books. You mentioned uh, one of my favorite authors, Patrick Lencioni uh, earlier. I'm a huge uh, advocate and fan of of his and what he does with uh, the table group and the working genius. I, I like that. So if you're listening, uh, hit the rewind button. He's given some great book recommendations here as well. But I thought you brought up a great point about that. You know, that's frustrating sometimes because we think of the, the outcome for us to send an email is to receive the reply. We, we tend to forget or not even be aware of that, some of the benefit we're receiving is putting our thoughts and actions down on paper. Us actually writing it down—it's another kind of tactile way of of thinking, if you will, not just verbally or in our head. So uh, that, that's that's interesting. I like that. Never be afraid of speaking in the dark because it feels like the dark. It feels like I'm just hitting send Take and ahead. eighty just hits the lead. That's I assume that's what they're doing, right? So I love that. So as you were going along in your athletic director career, and super hard, you know, it's it's being an athletic director of I'm gonna say of a of a larger school. So where like, you know, there's some schools that have an athletic director and that's all they do. They're an athletic director. Uh where I grew up, it was the athletic director was the head football coach. So they oversaw everything, if you will. Uh but as you were and so you're doing athletic director while also coaching basketball. I mean that's a tough, I mean that's those are two tough gigs there. Uh, as you were taking a step back from the coaching side, you know you had your coaching hat and coaching role. But as you were, put your AD hat on, and you know you were working to develop your tennis coach, your football coach, your track coach, etc., swimming. Where did when and how did the thought of like you know what is super important here? Uh, there's a lot of skill sets for these things. You know, motivation, budgeting, scheduling. But leadership obviously came out as like you know what if I don't have leadership towards these individuals everything doesn't nothing happens it, or it doesn't definitely doesn't happen at any kind of excellence. How did leadership become like this uh, passion and desire for you to to help others and and yourself?
2: Yeah, I think there's probably a huge uh, nature nurture uh, um, you know effect here. So. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a uh, was a was a pastor, uh, preacher. So it was very normal for me on a Sunday to be sitting in the uh, in the sanctuary, and my grandfather's up leading people, speaking, directing, announcing. Uh, it was very it was, that was just a normal thing ever since I can remember. My father um, was uh, to this day; he's uh, I think forty seventh or forty eighth year leading schools. Uh, and so, uh, watching him lead literally every single day, and uh, watching him do it joyfully, uh, he bounces out of the door to work every single day. He he really does love what he do, what he does. Um, my mother would like him to retire someday. I don't think he ever will. I think they'll take him out feet first. Uh, you know he just he just loves it. You know, and so um, those two examples, and then I always seem to have been around a really dynamic uh, strongly opinionated, clear thinking, uh, leaders. Um, you know, I think about the pastor of the church I grew up at. I did not grow up at my grandfather's past my, my grandfather's church. And so think about, uh, that individual, uh, my college basketball coach, um, had a huge impact on my life. He really galvanized and crystallized much of what my parents had tried to teach me. Um, I was just ignoring them, you know, like every teenager does, you know, and then all of a sudden my college basketball coach, he understood, That sport is always about more than sport, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and so um, John Amici just released a video that I just tweeted it out yesterday. I think John Amici was an All-American player for Penn State basketball player. He's actually an Englishman, big Englishman. Uh, He's now a social scientist researcher. He released a great video. You can go my Twitter feed and and scroll back a couple posts and see it um, about how sport is a vessel. Um, and it's up to the adults to fill the vessel with good or bad, um, and who benefits from that filling or who suffers the consequence from that filling the athletes, you know, and in many cases, the young people. And so sport is a vessel. I've been thinking about that recently. And so anyway, that coming together, my college coach, my dad, my grandfather, the men I was around, um, a lot of the people, the first administrators I worked under were just strong leaders, clear thinkers. And so there's been a huge nurturing probably that i just kind of assume subconsciously that's where you go that's how you trend um and then you you know you throw that in with the ingredient of being really passionate about the uh, the sport experience in general i loved it growing up played a lot of sports growing up played college basketball um, at a small college for a great coach it had impacted impact my life and just dove right into all of this as soon as i could professionally after graduating from college and jumping into schools and so that's kind of where the the whole leadership thing comes from um the opportunity to lead in sport is so unavoidable. Uh, you know, you just you just cannot coach without coach well without leading well. Uh, and then um, I, I would say one of the great needs in anyone's life is the ability to lead themselves well. Hmm. So every single person's a leader, if for no other reason, you're leading yourself. Uh, and usually, the best of leaders, usually not always, but usually the best of leaders started by being really good at leading themselves. Uh, And so I just feel like sport is a Petri dish for all of that, Um, you know, and so clear scoreboard gives you clear feedback. Scoreboards are just feedback machines, you know, um, track and field, you know, is just one of the greatest examples of that because it's so individualized. You're going to get feedback every time you run, you're going to get feedback every time you jump because you're going to look at the time, you know, you're going to look at the height, you're going to look at the distance, and that's going to give you feedback as to whether or not you're on fire that day, you stink that day, you're okay that day. And Lord knows that we have more and more intense ways of gathering feedback because of technology now. Mm. you know, I mean, the, the way runners can track everything, you know, because of the watches on their wrists, you know, and uh, like all the technology is just unbelievable. And so that's fast feedback. Uh, you know, you better figure out how to respond to that pretty quickly and objectively if you're going to be effective. And that's a lot of what leadership is just responding well to feedback. So that's probably a big, long answer to yeah, why leadership kind of sits at the forefront of everything for me.
1: But Before I continue with that questioning, though, we almost called the podcast, the Gil shout out podcast, you obviously have a really deep affection for your college basketball coach, what school did you go to? And what was their name?
2: Yeah, so I played at Baptist Bible College, a small little divisions, 3 school in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you've ever watched The Office,
1: or I got to give
2: The Office credit.
1: favorite show so like in the whole in- world. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that really is what Scranton's like and uh I played college basketball there. It's now called Clark Summit University. It's changed its name since. Um, Mike Schau was my college basketball coach. uh, And um, he is still there to this day. He no longer coaches men's basketball, uh, but he works on the administrative level for the university. And um, he was in town in Houston uh, three months ago. We had dinner. Um, He regularly will text me. Hey, Chris, I've been praying for you, man. I mean, like I played for this guy 20 years ago. And he still tells me he's thinking about me and praying for me. You know, this is the type of guy he was to play for when I was 18 to 22 years of age, and he has created an enormous tree, if you will, of men that are out there impacting the world. Um, and they all give him an, a, a incredible amounts of credit for who they became. My boss, Dr. Don Davis. Um, played for Mike Shao. Um, <laughs> our athletic director here at Second Baptist played for Mike Shao. Both my brothers who are leaders in other parts of the country played for Mike Shao. Wow. Dr. John Young, who's the AD at the largest private um, private school athletic department in Ohio, played for Mike Shao. And the list just goes on and on and on. The, inor- the incredible amount of people that give him credit for impact on their lives. And so coaches, you're someone's Mike Shao. Yeah,
1: that's exactly what I was going to say to you guys and gals that are listening right now, because I know sometimes it's hard when you're in the muck, when you're trying to get this dual meet going, you're trying to host this meet, you're trying to get your kids in this invitational, get through regionals conference, state, uh, college coaches are recruiting, you got all this mail coming in. Oh, and by the way, you're probably a teacher. So you're teaching and you have a a, a life, you know, a family, things like that. I know it can be hard to take that step back and think what you're doing is impacting people. But listen to that story. I mean, this is a coach, first of all, what a shout out to coach Mike. I mean, producer of leaders is what he really is a coach of in uh, the people and the effect that he has the affection. Did you see, I don't know if you, if you're watching on YouTube, Chris's face, when he said coach came down to Houston and they got to go out like it, 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 what you do means something, even to the kid or the kids that never say a word you think are not listening to you. The positive impact that you make on these young people, both high school and college coaches it is literally immeasurable. You cannot measure what you are doing for these young people out there. They look up to you. They're not always going to say it. Remember when you were 17 and 20, you didn't always say it to your coach and teachers either. You wish you could go back uh, and you get and you let, and you cherish the times you get to do it now as an adult. But these kids... Crave your leadership and your positivity and your mentorship. Uh, So I just, when you were telling that story, Chris, I'm just like, uh, I mean, it moves me because it's like, because then I start thinking about my own coach. I'm like, oh man, you know, I have not talked to to Coach Schmidt in ages, and that guy did everything for me. And Coach Goss, I was like my father. And it's like, man, you know, those people did have such an amazing impact. Uh, one more question before we get back to leadership as an athletic director towards coaches. You mentioned Twitter. I cannot believe I didn't have you give us your Twitter account because you got to go follow Chris on Twitter because that's where all life happens as far as I'm concerned is on Twitter. Chris, where can we follow you at on uh, on Twitter?
2: Yeah, I uh, love connecting with people out there uh, at dr underscore Chris Hobbs. So at dr underscore Chris Hobbs. Um, just love Twitter for me is an outflow of what I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not really trying I I heard someone say, um, you know, if you're trying to build an audience, it'll be obvious. I'm not trying to build an audience. Uh, I'm just trying to share some stuff that I'm learning that I'm thinking on. Sometimes I even tweet stuff like, Hey, I've been thinking on this recently, you know? Um, it's, it's really an outflow of my learning. And then I get to do it in a, in a a public forum like that, where I get to connect with a bunch of other people too. So yeah, I I love love that.
1: that's a great point. We could talk about Twitter forever, but uh, to to piggyback on what you just said there, you know, when I first started hitting Twitter hard, I, you know, I, and I cringe now when I look back at them, you know, I'd be like, Oh, almost at a hundred followers, who's going to be number 100. And, you know, as I got close to a thousand, I was like, Oh, you know, 10 more and all this kind of stuff. And then I was like, you know what, I'm just going to stop worrying about that. And I'm just going to give value. And so I just went, full blow, blow, uh, hard into just giving value to those who do choose to follow me. And literally I blinked and I have 10,000 followers. I mean, it was kind of like, mm. like I did, uh, as I was getting close to 10,000, I did like, Hey, 22 left. Like, I mean, more of just like, I was actually a little bit in awe. Like there are 10,000 ish people who value what value I give them. Like, I, I mean, that, it, it literally is kind of like, you could follow anybody and you could easily not follow me by the way but you choose two. And so it like, it just, it was really humbling uh, as you got up to that kind of magical number of of 10, but anyway. uh, Okay. So back to leadership. So can you remember as, you know, obviously you have a, a huge background of, you know, family and coaches that poured into you that have affected you and made you a part of who you are today. As you became that leader as the athletic director for your different schools, so your different coaches, was there a, um, uh, I hesitate to say a book because there probably was with you as we were seeing and learning that you're a reader, but was there a book, um, a TED talk, um, uh, a conference you went to that gave you a nugget of like, oh, okay, I need to bring this to my coaches, or I need to start, I haven't been doing this and, you know, shame on me, I need to start doing this. Anything like that you can think of that really, you know, put a, a boost into your leadership towards your, your uh, coaches in your athletic department?
2: Yeah, I, I would probably say um, that happened very, very regularly. Um, I heard Billy Donovan speak at a clinic. You know, Billy Donovan won back-to-back national championships, Coach men's basketball at Florida. He's now coaches the Bulls. Uh, and uh, Donovan, right before he opened up his his session with everyone, uh, said, hey, don't adopt what I do at Florida. He said, just adapt one simple thing that I'm about to share. I don't even know what he talked about for the next 60 minutes, but I totally remember that what he was telling us is that it, it, his entire program isn't going to fit at your school because every program is so unique to it itself, but it's the tiny little details. Um, John Piper shared on social media the other day. The reason you have to read books is not because books change lives, but it's because sentences change lives and sentences are hidden in books, you know? And so it's like, it's like this little stuff. So I, I would say like all the time, you know that there was things. I, I'll give some resources that probably have a few more sentences than just one in them that are worth the read. Um, so uh, the Messiah method, uh, which is written about Messiah University um, men's and women's soccer programs that are, you know, arguably the the most dominant college sport dynasty in the last 20 years. Men's soccers won 11 national championships since 2000. women's soccer's won nine since 2000. They've played in a collective like 30 national championship games since the year 2000, Um, I happened to be the AD for the soccer coach that the Messiah dynasty was begun on. Um, He had 10 of his players play and win a national championship at Messiah. And he had all Americans on all three of their first national championship teams. His name is, his name is Bill Bills. Um, And Coach Bills, a huge impact on my life. He let me run his athletic department. He was the AD. They brought me in to relieve him of being the AD so he could just coach and teach at the uh, the twilight of his career. And um, no matter, I, I always knew somehow it was never my athletic department. It was always Bill's athletic department. He was just letting me run it, you know? Um, but that being said, um, the Messiah Method is a business professor's look at the culture and the leadership that has created this monstrous dynasty on both men's and women's side. That is a tremendous book for anyone that's looking for a framework of excellent athletics programmatically. Um, the Messiah Methods Growth, Coaching Science. I would recommend Inside Out Coaching by Joe Dr. Joe Ehrman. Um, tremendous book for how to really, really coach in a way that impacts young people's lives. Um, I, I think some people want to silo the things of like, hey, I can win games or I can impact lives. It's really, really hard to make them go together, I would say mm-hmm. um it's impossible not to make them go together. I was talking to Dr. Jim Timmer, who's the athletic director at Calvin mm-hmm. University, um, a really, really well-run high power D3 program up mm-hmm. in Michigan. I pulled Jim aside and I shared with Jim my concern of like, hey, what would you do with a coach that's doing everything right? Pouring into kids, recruiting, like learning, growing growth mindset, like they're everything and they're just not winning games. And Dr. Timmer says to me, he said, Chris, if they're not winning games, they're probably not doing any of those things, right? Like if you really believe in your process, it will produce, you know, um, if your process is right. And so um, inside out coaching helps you kind of understand that Messiah method kind of helps you understand how those things integrate together and really should be reciprocal to each other, the excellence and the impact Another one that's really, really granular, but um, I think coaches would eat it up is um, The Little Book of Talent by Daniel Coyle. Daniel Coyle is a New York Times bestselling author, wrote The Talent Code and then wrote Mm. The Culture Code. Great books, super fun books to read. He wrote a little side project called The Talent Code or no, the Little Book of Talent. Um, And that is like 49 tips on how to help people develop skill. Um, from his research on high performing people across every walk of life, Hmm. musicians, artists, athletes, public speakers, like the best of the best. How did they get this way? And um, he wrote a little side book called the little book of talent. Um, You could pick that book every day, read it for 30 seconds, and you would couldn't wait to go to practice and try and use what you just read in that little book. So those three books would be books I recommend a lot to people.
1: Have you ever, and I kind of hope, I feel like you have when I say this book, but I kind of hope you didn't, because I, I feel like I owe you a, a book recommendation. Uh, have you ever read Lead for God's Sake? I have. Yeah. Okay. Great but, book. Well, for just a second, I thought you had, and I was like, oh man, you got to read that one. Yeah. Uh, and of course, embarrassingly, the author's name is uh, missing from my brain. More embarrassingly, because he's been a guest on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was, he was one of the OGs. He was like episode like 44, 49. He, it seems like forever ago now. Is Todd, Todd Gonger.
2: Todd that-
1: Gonger. That's exactly who it is. Yes. He was the uh, uh, keynote speaker at the USTFCCCA. That's the United States Track and Field and Cross Country yeah. Coaches Association. He was a keynote there. He was friends with Brian Fetzer, another Gill Podcast alum, who's now an athletic director in Cincinnati. And uh, he introduced me to him. And, you can text you know, he, Brian
2: right now. I met Brian last year. Brian, and I talk all the time.
1: No, is that right?
2: Oh, yeah, that's
1: great. awesome. Yes, I've been friends with Fetz for a long time. Uh, love him. And he's doing, you know, he is was a phenomenal college coach. Uh, but I think... And this is, a, this is kind of a, actually an interesting lesson for people as well. You know, he he, co- he was head coach of Virginia. He was at Mississippi State, Harvard, Cal Berkeley, uh, Ball State. I mean, he was at a lot of great places and did amazing. He was a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal college coach. Now he's pivoted to this high school athletic director, Cincinnati Christian Hills, I believe, off the top of my head, right. Academy. Yep. And uh, I believe he's still coaching track there. I would hope he's doing something uh, for the track team there as well. But he's the athletic director. And I'll tell you what. He's found his calling. Like, you know, he was, again, not taking away his college. He did many, many All-Americans, national champs, et cetera. He's really digging in and affecting society through affecting young people in a whole different light and prospering. He is doing an excellent, excellent job there. I love that you love that, sir. Uh, but yeah, lead for God's sake. If you haven't read that uh, listeners, I would suggest that one. He's a basketball guy. So it's a basketball story. That's why I was like, you have to have read this <laughs> Mr. Basketball uh, and has been on the podcast as well. I'd suggest you go back and listen to that episode. He's a phenomenal, uh, great leadership and great uh, intention, uh, intentionality with leadership. Okay, back to leadership here uh, with an an athletic director role. But I am curious about your basketball coaching. That's where the majority of your coaching sport was, was in basketball, correct? Um, So you did a lot of basketball coaching, and we're going to get into the uh, track coaching that you did here this past year. But you've also overseen tennis coaches, swim coaches, wrestling coaches, etc., you know, in track, we like to think that we are extremely unique and we are uh, there's definitely a lot of uniquenesses in our sport as it relates to coaching and the different events and, uh, you know, uh, body types. And you know, there's, there's a place for everybody of all tallness, shortness, body types, et cetera, in track and field. So we like to think that we're hyperly unique. But as you personally have coached basketball and you've seen successful football, baseball, softball coaches, are there is there like a universal set of like uh, commonalities amongst coaching? Like, you know, if you can do this, that, that translates to football, track, tennis, tiddlywinks for crying out loud. Are there some universal commonalities amongst coaches, successful coaches?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a, a great question, Mike. And uh, you, you stepped in it now, man, because I've actually researched this uh, from a social science standpoint. Uh, and so, okay, here's three P's. now,
1: now, before you say that, let's all remember I went to high school and college in Alabama. So let's, let's, let's you know, you know what I'm saying. Let's, I got to be able to
2: understand this now, Chris. All right, three P's. So far, I'm, I'm with you. Here's three P's of coaching excellence according to the research. Number one is obsessive preparation. Um, Obsessive—the best coaches that I ever supervised. When I'm app operating at my best as a coach, I am obsessively prepared, uh, and so that's everything from calendaring, POs on time, your recruiting schedule, thinking down the road, and what needs to be done, and then doing it well in advance. And so, obsessive preparation is a characteristic of excellent coaching. The next one, this one's big: positive responses to negative circumstances. Um, in an edge and this is a, this is the research of coaches in educational settings right and so this isn't professional coaches though I think there's some application but this would be research of coaches in educational settings where you're molding young people whether they're 22 or they're 12, you're molding young people positive response to negative circumstances is enormous it's an enormous influence on kids um it's an enormous model for them to watch and to see and so um when, Uh, that long jumper, that triple jumper, they scratch, you know, three times in a row and it feels like the wheels are coming off their wagon and they are just despairing of life. Um, no matter how poorly they did or how they disregarded your coaching in that moment, you've got to respond positively those negative circumstances for the sake of that young person. Um, and so that's the second peak: positive response to negative circumstances. And it is brutally hard because you will, it'll expose you. It'll expose you and how mentally tough you are. You know, toughness isn't about like, hey, I can slam my fingers in my car door and not grimace, right? Like that's not toughness, you know? Toughness is being able to stay focused. And that's where positive response to negative circumstances, you find out how focused people are. Uh, You know, basketball context, coach loses his mind because officiating isn't what he thinks it should be. That coach in that moment is not mentally tough. They have lost their focus, you know, and so you got to stay focused. Um, so positive response, to third and final P, and this would be really in the high school context, parent communicator. Mm. You've got to be a tremendous communicator to the parents of your athletes. There's there's some coaching theory out there. Um, I think it comes from the right place. Um, I think it is misguided, though, that, well, no, they're teenagers. I'm going to tell them and they tell their parents. Absolutely not. That's just, that's unbelievable. Uh, in school settings, we have a legal liability called en loco parentes, where we're in place of the parent. When we their children are in our care, how in the world can we take the place of the parent if we never communicate with the parents? Uh, and so um, it is not our job to raise kids. Um, That is something that God's ordained parents to do, but it is our job to partner with parents to educate kids. Um, And there is very few things that are as educationally intense as the athletic experience. And so I could go on uh, for for a long time, how critical it is that coaches in a high school context communicate to the parents of the student athletes. Um, You do that and you're prepared and you're responding positively negative circumstances. I could say probably 1000% confidence that the greatest coaches that I have overseen as an AD, greatest coaches I've learned from. And when I'm operating at a high level, all three of those things are very true about the coaching. Uh, So those are the three Ps right there, brother.
1: All right. I love that. And I don't want to be dismissive of preparation. I, I, I think that's spot on that. That seems very good. And for someone who is on the end of when people are not prepared as far as purchasing equipment <laughs> and like, Hey, I need to pull up a pit tomorrow. I was like, mm, we needed to prepare a little bit longer than that. Uh, and I don't want to be dismissive of parent communication. I, I love that. I love the, the thought that, you know, you, you gave the example of sometimes we think that, well, I'm just going to speak to the teenager and they'll speak to the parent. I feel like that's said by someone who has never had a teenager. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> put those to the side for a second they're all part of the three pieces so they're extremely important but i really want to dig in cuz when you said positive responses to negative circumstances like i uh, this, this my spidey sense tingled and i feel like maybe other listeners are like oh wait a minute and you gave a great example of the basketball coach right you think of the stereotypical basketball coach that just goes eight crap when a call doesn't go their way. And I love how you said that, that coach is not mentally tough in that, in that instance, not the coach isn't necessarily mentally tough, but in that, in that circumstance, they're not. And so that made me think, first of all, of a couple things, one of uh, self-awareness of uh, as a former coach myself of like, oh yeah, there were times where I lost it. You, you know, I was upset for maybe valid reasons, by the way, you know, whether a kid did the wrong thing, et cetera. But that also makes me think of Uh, you know, I take everything back to social media and Twitter. You know, I see a lot of debates a lot of times when um, they show, and typically it's football. So I'm gonna pick on football here a little bit. When a football coach goes off on a kid, you know, the, the grabbing the face mask and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And there invariably becomes the debate of, is that appropriate? I don't think so. And, oh, well, that my coach did that and boy, that whipped me into shape. Or I did that with a kid. And that was re- really set that kid off to becoming the next president of the <laughs> United States or whatever. What, what do you, and and maybe it is in a a football context here, but I've seen it in track, by the way, no face mask grabbing, thank God, but I've seen coaches, I mean, light into to kids. Uh, and when I say kids, this is college kids all the way down to, to the high school side. So how do we, why, why does that happen? Why do we snap? By the way, again, hands. Up, I'm not pointing fingers here. I'm pointing thumbs that I've done this. Why do we do that? Some will, some would say, well, it's passion. I care about the kid. If I don't show my emotions to that kid, they, they, they won't change, I guess, is what we might say. So why does that happen? And maybe more importantly, do you know do you, in your studies of this, Did you ever come up with or research any coping mechanisms of like, you know, the stereotypical count to 10 before you say, or is there any way we can maybe recognize that that's coming and maybe head it off from the past and and not allow it to actually come
2: out externally? Yeah, that's great. I think for me, and I would agree with you to Mike, this is not finger pointing, this is thumb pointing. Uh, I love that. Um, I've had a a long journey uh, with uh, simply being what I would call emotionally reckless, Mm. Um, and, and so I was talking to one of my former players, uh, who's, uh, a coach in the Tampa Bay area now. Uh, and, uh, when I coached him, I was a knucklehead. I was way too wound, way too tight. He was a knucklehead. He was wound way too tight. And I mean, we had some real clashes, his junior and senior year today. He's one of my, one of my dearest friends. Uh, mm. we talk all the time and we were talking, we were reflecting on that, you know, and we were both pointing thumbs. You know, and I, I I, just really kind of synthesize this term of, you know, he was laughing about some of the very intense things um, that I did. Um, and he, because he did, he has this perspective and posture on it that like, hey, like that was tough love. Hey, like we needed that stuff. Hey, and I look at it. He's obviously much younger than me. I look at it at 44 years of age. I got a 21, 19, 17 year old. I've been working with teenagers for 23 years. I look at it as just emotionally reckless um mostly because um i was embarrassed mm-hmm. right like think about it your kid didn't perform to the level that you thought you had trained them to and now it's obvious to an entire arena an entire bleachers an entire gymnasium full of people and you're embarrassed and so i think if coaches really take a moment and think on it it's one of two reasons that they act like that primarily they're embarrassed that their kid is not performing to the degree you thought you would prepare them to perform and now your coaching is coming under the microscope in front of everyone. It's embarrassed. Or number two, it's just flat, too competitive. I want to win and I've lost track of my emotions and now I'm emotionally reckless. Uh, and so I found, Mike, that as my career evolved, as I learned, as I matured, as I grow, as people spoke truth in my life, mm-hmm. right? I think a lot of the coaches that don't evolve in this, in how, how to handle this stuff, they don't have enough people throughout the year speaking truth into their life, giving them real feedback. Um, and so I had those people speaking that truth into my life. And as I evolved um, and matured, um, I really found myself strongly desiring that the kids experience success so that they could feel that feeling. Mm-hmm. They could have that rush, right? And it was amazing how how much more resilient I was when really like it wasn't like I wasn't embarrassed anymore right like I understood that like hey kids uh, like these are teenagers they're going to get out there and do the craziest things sometimes and you know you just never guessed that that's how they would do it you know and so as I matured in that area as I matured in understanding like as bad as I want to win I want I want the kid to feel winning even more than I want to win you know and all of a sudden I became a lot more steady it wasn't perfect but I was a lot more steady. How do you, how do you avoid it? Or how do you reduce the risk that it happens? Um, you, you've got to give people permission to speak truth in your life. You mm-hmm. need trust. what I call trusted antagonists in your life. These are the people that you trust and they will speak antagonistic things into you. They will hold you accountable. They will say things that make you squirm. Um, but because you trust them, you can just barely tolerate it. You know, um, If you don't trust them, you know, it's going to be hard, but, um, you know, and so I would coaches, if if you're out there and you're, you're reflecting right now and you're thinking, man, I am still a hot mess in this area of responding positive to negative circumstances. Mm. I would, I would ask you to reflect on who have you given permission to speak truth into your life? Who have you pulled aside? It's an assistant coach. Maybe I, I I love these. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try not be, um, offensive here but you got these old folks every so often that love to just hang around your program right they've been in your community forever they love it they're always around let me tell you something you pull some of those those old dudes aside some of those old gals aside and you ask them what they're seeing you will find immense wisdom in what they're seeing um you know you ask them hey what do you think I could do better? If you were me, what would you do? You know, it, it's unbelievable. You know, they'll probably really crassly tell you, I'd stop being on at the kids so much, you know, and like all the, like that's important truth that you need to hear. So if you're looking to reduce the risk of responding negative to negative circumstances, it's really gonna come through trusted antagonists speaking truth into your life long before those moments show up. And in that moment, You'll peek out of the corner of your eye, and you know they're watching you. You mm. know that assistant coach is watching you to see how you're going to respond because they know that something just hit your hot button. You know <laughs> um, that could be important accountability in the moment. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I love that. Was a great advice about you know, these emeritus coaches that are hanging around or, or, and they don't have to be coaches, you know, they could be former teachers, parents, grandparents, you know, that, that's interesting. A, a key to that. I, I want to add on just a little bit and you can challenge me as appropriate is when you do ask that, first of all, that's super hard. Like you talk about humbleness as being able to go ask someone, Hey, so what did you think when you are watching? Like I, I want to be better. So where can I be better? What do you notice? That's hard. First of all, uh, And a lot of people, if they don't have the trust in you, are going to give you the cursory answers. Oh, yeah, no, no, you're great. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. It's, You know, maybe it was one thing, (laughs) Uh, but being able to have the posture of listening and then after they maybe tell you that hard truth, thanking them like, oh, man, first of all, appreciate that you trust that I would respond correctly enough that you would Tell me that you you would allow yourself to be ready for me to blow up on you if if I if I respond to this incorrectly. So first of all, thank you for trusting in me and thank you for like wanting me to be better. And then. Uh, going out and either making a change or not, because not every, all advice is, you know, the right advice, but, you know, being able to have that, that, that stature of listening and thankfulness and gratefulness to the person uh, and not just giving you the cursory, like, oh, yeah, you're great. You're doing awesome. Whatever uh, is, is important uh, add on with that. That are people are just going to never give you, you know, speak truth to power. They're never going to give you uh, the truth on it. And that means you're never going to get better. So why in the world did you even ask, you know, at that point? So uh, I love that. The the other aspect that I was thinking about there, Chris, as you were talking about that, you know, you're talking about, you said teenagers and their knuckleheads, they're going to do, you know, what they do because they're teenagers. And and I find sometimes in conversations with coaches that we forget that we were teenagers at one point. And we probably definitely did at least one thing during high school or college uh, that we look back and we're like, yeah, a coach probably wouldn't have liked that if they would have known about it. Done it, right? I, I think about. I have a good friend uh, who's a, a track world person, uh, Justin Gatlin, and he and I both have children that are. I have a sixth grader. He has a seventh grader. And I was at an event with him and his wife, and his wife was asking me questions about, you know, because we have similar age children. It's like, hey, man, does your kid, does your boy do this? You know, you know, blah blah blah. And I was like, yeah, like he does, and you know, I can't believe, you know, why and dah, da da da. da and Justin comes up and this was odd for me cuz I've known Justin since he was like 17, 16 years old. So he's still even though we're not that far apart in age, uh, he's still a kid to me. Even though all the accolades, you know, gold medalist, world record, all this kind of stuff, he's still a kid to me. And he comes up and we bring him into the conversation and he goes, "Yeah, you know, sometimes we forget that we were probably that exact same way at their age." And it was one of those where was like, oh dang. I was like, he's right. And then I was like, but you're a kid. How are you giving me this advice? Oh, wait, no, you're a dad. You're a father now. Like, this blows my mind. But it was one of those It's like, oh, sometimes, even though we're working with 14, 15, 16 years old, 20, 21, 22-year-olds in college, we have to have grace that, you know, they they're gonna make mistakes, they're gonna do things that we don't agree with. Again, we we probably did something very similar. we we're, we're not angels ourselves and look where we got to. so it's not the end of the world because they make this terrible no good decision. Uh, so having some grace and continue uh, to exemplify the leadership and giving them the example of what the right decisions look like uh, is extremely important. And so to your point about uh, positive responsive uh, responses to negative circumstances, if you're showing negative responses to negative circumstances, well you're not being that that representation to them. They're, they're, actually you are being a representation to them they're saying oh wait a minute i look up the coach look what look what he or she does that must mean that's the way to, to act i, I, I could do that then because that's what i want to be one day or i want to be like that person so uh you you're being an example one way or the other uh i think to your point is let's let's be more positive examples uh than the negative ones to these young people i love it so Chris, yeah. jump jump into this year. You have been an ex- extremely successful basketball coach, uh, AD of the year, 40 under 40, which I'm totally not jealous about at all. And then this year, you find yourself, you've been around a lot of track coaches and, and distance coaches, but now you find yourself, well, how do you find yourself? What, what are you doing coaching track and field distance runners this past year? Tell us about that.
2: Yeah. So we uh, we moved to Houston, Texas 20 months ago and uh, had a coaching change taking place in our athletic department coming into this school year. Uh, so between my first and second year uh, and um, through just um, circumstances that are incredibly inconvenient and no one's fault, right? Like sometimes life is just like that, right? It just goes sideways. Um, we're 10 days out from my son starting his senior cross country season. And my son is very passionate distance runner, as I said, uh, and we've got no coach uh, here at Second Baptist School. And um, like I said, I've got a robust background in sport. Um, My role here at Second, uh, my primary role had no longer anything to do with sport. Uh, It was a a broader leadership across the face of the school, but we're 10 days out from cross country season uh, and uh, the program needed a rebuild. That's why we were going through a hiring process. And it just it just fell apart at the last second for no one's fault. And uh my wife looks at me. We're driving back from Lake Travis. Uh we're on vacation at Lake Travis here in Texas, driving back to Houston. And she looks at me and she says, You're the new cross country coach. Go tell the AD. <laughs> and uh so had
1: it entered your uh, mind at all?
2: No, it really hadn't. Um you know, I'm thinking kind of like institutional organizational leadership. How are we gonna organize the pieces? How are right, we right. I'm not Not thinking about personally jumping in, uh, and um, she said it, and uh, you know it really under the circumstances was uh, the only solution. And so, like I said, I I knew enough to be dangerous. I I certainly know how to develop culture and and get parents pulled in and get stuff organized and get kids excited. I know I'm mind-numbingly. Um, persistent and and consistent. And so, you know, that that bodes well for practice every day and practice planning. And, uh, and so the void for me, so I, I dive in. Uh, next, thing you know, we're sending out an email to the entire school community, you know, that um, I have uh, accepted the role as head cross country coach, I, I thought my coaching and my athletic directing days were way behind me. Uh, and here we are back again. And man, what an amazing year. Uh, and, um, I, I I just knew what best practice for the most part looked like uh, in distance running and we just dove in now, I got to give a couple shout outs here so um, Greg Copeland, uh, Greg who had an incredible run as the cross country and distance and track field coach at Valor Christian up in Colorado, uh-huh. um, Greg was like my virtual assistant coach. Uh, because I, I didn't, I, I really didn't have a great handle on the science of this, the programming of it. You know, I gobbled up Jay Johnson stuff. I gobbled up Dr. Jack Daniels stuff as fast as I could. Um, I've got a master's degree in sport coaching, which includes a lot of work in like biomechanics. And so like, I, I, I could understand what they're saying. I just couldn't really understand it well enough to, to program it and to like teach it to others, you know, like that, that's the ultimate under level of understanding, and so Greg was a huge lifesaver for me. Um, I talked to Greg probably three times a week, um, and he really, really helped me make sure that scientifically I was I was, I was, was accurate, I was good um, in helping these kids move forward. And I had this wide spectrum of kids. I got my son, who's in year seven or eight of his distance running career. And at that time, he's being recruited by probably 12, 13 different schools to go collegiately run. And then I've got kids coming onto the program. I've never done this before, ever in their lives. They're just trying it out for the first time. Uh, And so how in the world do you create an atmosphere where you can um, help such a wide spectrum of performers achieve and enjoy it? And that was the great leadership challenge that um, I I willingly embraced. Greg was great. Huge shout out to Greg. Um, Wonderful, wonderful man that loves kids, does it for the right reasons. And he's a heck of a distance running coach. And then Bill Mitchell, who I've already referenced. Um, I talked to Bill all the time as well. Um, was my son's former coach before we moved from Florida to Texas. And so Bill and Greg really propped me up, um, on the science side of things and then the, the daily energy and all that I could run. So anyway, that's how I ended up doing it. Um, we did almost 40 weeks of training between cross country season, (laughs) a winter running program, and then track and field season. Um, and it ended up being a huge blessing. I loved it. Um, I learned so much. Love these kids. Uh, my son, um, who had a monster senior year after a really challenging junior year, he had a monster senior year. Uh, I got to know our school at a deeper level because of the wide array of kids that particularly track and field draws in. You draw in your explosive athlete. You draw in your first time kid trying it. You draw in your kid that thinks they can just jump. You draw in your you strong burly kids that throw things, you draw in, you, you know, your just dist- my son is a distance runner, so I can say this. The weird distance runners, you know, like you draw in all these kids and you get to know all these kids and all these families. And so for a guy in his second year leading uh kind of at a global level, it was a great way to deep dive on our community. So uh we just wrapped it up. Uh what a blast it was. Uh I would never have chosen to do it, but man, am I glad that I did it. It was great. It was a blast.
1: So someone from the outside, you hadn't coached cross-country and track and field, but again, extensive background in basketball and uh, other sports leadership. What was the, like, I'm just curious from, you know, most of us that are listening and your your humble host here grew up in track and field. We, we've we done it for, I mean, decades now, depending on how, how old we are, decades for this guy. What was, I'm interested for someone who's in sport, but now like for a year you've been, you were in track and field. What was the oddest thing? Whether it's about our sport, whether it's about like yeah this event, this high jump is weird. whether it's an event, whether it's like how we get our officials, whether it's how the meets run. What was just like when you look back these past forty weeks, what was just like man, I, I'm just not sure why we do this in track and field.
2: Uh, I don't I don't know if this was odd. It was unbelievable. It, it was it was very surprising to me. Would be um, like that wind is a, like a real factor mm. on times. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I had no idea. So, my son, who's a studier, my son's a learner like I am. So, he reads a lot, you know, and he's, you know, probably read, I'd say at least a dozen books on distance running, you know, everything about Steve Prefontaine, everything about the uh, dynasty, of, you know, University of Colorado. He's read about um, Phil Knight, Bill Bowman, you know, he, you know, he's read all these guys. And so, he knows a lot about it. And I, he thought I was the biggest idiot in the world. When he found out that I didn't know that wind accounts for, you know, rating of these times and how accurate and how acceptable some of these times are. So that really, I was like, man, they, they really have thought of everything in this track and field world. Um, and then um, the, uh, the other thing is just the where the thing that, again, it wasn't like odd. It was just, man, what a learning experience, the wear and tear on the body that these athletes endure, um, you know, wasn't because as a basketball coach, you know, you mostly think about wear and tear, like diving on the floor, gym burns and torn ACLs and taking a charge and banging your head on the floor. You know, that's what you think about wear and tear, you know, and like, I learned so much about the, the micro level, Mm -hmm. uh, the micro damage that these young people endure and have to appropriately recover from if they're going to perform at their best. That was super fascinating to me. Um, and because again, I'm new, like, I'm just, you know, I'm just really, really open when you're new, you're open, you know, you don't come in with any preconceived um, notions, um, or like postures on anything. And so that was fascinating. Um, and so those would probably be the two things: the wind, and then like the the wear and tear on the body, and how careful you have to be. That was just awesome stuff to learn.
1: That, that's that's great insight because we have a lot of conversations around track and field about how do we get more people in the stands. You know, in the high school level, it's the number one most participated sport. On the college level, it's the number one most participated sport when you had men and women and boys and girls together. So we know walking out in society, we, you have a pretty good high probability you're going to meet someone who ran track at some point in their life. Uh, well, why aren't they? at track meets right and then we also flip the conversation and we'll talk about oh it was, it was over two meters uh, a second for the win, so it so it doesn't count i, I remember this i'm glad you mentioned that we were at i think the olympic trials or u.s trials we we're at one of the u.s championships and we had one of our engineers there for just in case, you know, any equipment went down or whatnot. Not a track guy by any means. Lived and worked in a track company, but it doesn't mean every one of us are track people, right? And uh, the 100 meter uh, quarters or, yeah, quarter uh, finals go off. And the wind was like at 4.0, it was a pretty high. It was in Eugene uh, at, at Hayward Field. And so, you know, everything's, you know, wind dated, right? But as announcers and even as coaches, we'll say, oh, it was illegal we don't say just it was when dated. It's like, it's illegal. And so, you know, the, the first round went off and it was like, oh, you know, but illegal, win, illegal win. And the next round, oh, illegal win. Third round, illegal win, everyone. And my engineer guy comes up to me and me goes, oh man, really sucks for those hundred meter guys. And I was like, I was like, oh man, what did I admit? Like what happened to him? You know? And I was like, what what do you mean? He's like, well, the announcer kept saying it was illegal. So they got to go run it again or something. Right. Or they're all disqualified or something. And I was like, <laughs> you know, my instant reaction was like, wait, well, you dope, you work for a track company, you should know what this means. But then I, as I kind of put myself in another person's shoes of who doesn't know track, it's like, yeah, wait a minute, why do we say illegal? That it, it, The average person <laughs> hears illegal like and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. The average person goes illegal. Well, that means you did something wrong. So you're kicked out or you're arrested, whatever. It is wind aided, so it can't count for a record, but you still go on to the next round, you know, based on how you go. But it was really interesting, like, yeah, this is why we can't get people in the stands. That we some one person goes to a meeting and goes, Oh, well, they had a bunch of illegal things. Well, I don't want to watch a sport that you know does all that kind of stuff. You know, it's just so so wacky we're in our own bubble so i love hearing perspective from kind of call it outside the bubble that and you got into the bubble real real
2: deep this year uh with you i don't know maybe, maybe track and field has it right mike maybe like the next time a kicker kicks a field goal and the wind blows it away you know we should no 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 no, no, no. the wind you know let's do it again the wind blew it away
1: yeah you know? yeah well we have we have our own um i don't know if it's idiosyncrasies but uh counter uh, to our to our sport we're very exacting right we talk about wind we measure down to the centimeter we time down to the thousandths of the second but then we also pull a tape to measure <laughs> and and another person's <laughs> pulling on the other end by the way <laughs> <laughs> and then we do wind readings, but we don't f- remember that wind isn't in like one big alley all the way down. Uh, so the wind can be different on one half of the track versus the other, you know, four lanes versus the other four lanes. And also the timing of it could be way di- Yeah, we have our own, we we like to think that we are so specific and, oh, we we measure pole vault and we'll take this device and it's, you know, it's 18 feet up. We'll take this device and try to touch the top of the crossbar. And we're trying to look up, you know, 18 feet down. Oh yeah, that touched. And it's like, no, (laughs) there's no way you know that that is exact. But we say, oh no, that jump was 5.81 meters it's correct selectively meticulous selectively meticulous selectively (laughs) meticulous yes 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 i love it i love it what uh what what was the most awesome thing that you saw this this year in track and field whether it was a, a race or uh an interaction between a coach and athlete or coach or athlete to athlete what was you know if you think back you're like oh man you know what kind of moved me a little bit this was cool this year that i saw
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the look on a kid's face, you know, when they do something unexpected, you know, they they PR, uh, they they win unexpectedly. You know, it just all came together like every every molecule of their being was firing in the right direction, um, and they just they did something spectacular. That's just so fun. Almost always you can correlate it with a relentless training, mm-hmm. you know? And so in that moment, coach, it's really important. Don't celebrate their talent that undermines their growth mindset. Don't celebrate their, their skill. Don't, don't celebrate those things because you're going to communicate to them inadvertently that they were not ultimately in control of what happened. Mm-hmm. It's the way they got made them, or it was the way the sun was that day or whatever it might be. You really want to celebrate their work that led to it. Dr. Carol Dweck talks a ton about this in um, her, in her book, Growth Mindset, um, as does um, Dr. Angela Duckworth in Grit. Mm. Uh, Both those books, if you're in the field training young people, both those books are really, really valuable um, and they've got a lot of sport and educational context to them. But they both say when your children, or in this case, your athletes accomplish something, You make sure you highlight and celebrate something they were in control of, you know, um, and that will send the message to them that they need to keep doing those things and they'll get a chance to experience more of these feelings and it'll make them more resilient when it doesn't go the way that they planned. And so that was the fun thing is to see these kids do something, their eyes just light up like, I can't believe I just did that. Well, you just did it because. You know, you've trained relentlessly for the last six weeks and you. this is inevitably the result of your work ethic and of your consistency. And so those were really, really, really fun moments. We had, um, again, like we were rebuilding the thing. And so, like I said, I had my son on one end of the spectrum and I had all these brand new young kids on the other end of the spectrum. Every single one of our cross-country runners, which was only nine, so don't like think I'm running this monster cross-country program. We we're literally building it from scratch every one of our cross country runners, my son, all the way to our youngest kid PR'd in the district championships in the fall. And that was, that was super fun. You know, like they're, they're just all looking at each other. Like the, I can't believe we just all did that together, you know, and uh, they had been relentlessly consistent. We talked about the consistency is a superpower. So um, that was a fun thing.
1: That's cool. H- help me work something out. Cause something you just said there struck a chord with me and something that I'm kind of relentless and passionate about you talked about when the kid does something good to focus on that, you know, it was because of the work they did, you know, something that was in their control. Right. And what that made me think of is uh, on the athletic side, on the athlete side, uh, very, maybe I don't know if this is track and field or other, so let's stick with track here. Uh, you'll hear it a lot of times like, oh, well, um, you know, I got lucky because the wind—the famous wind—or uh, uh, well, yeah, I was just in the right race, and they pulled me to the PR. Like it becomes like it, it to me. It's this, and I don't know if this is a, a a real term or not, but it becomes fake humbleness, which is I think is very dangerous. And there's humbleness, and that's that's a superpower. That's that's a, we all need a dose of humbleness uh, in the work that we do. Fake humbleness is not, you know some ability, God-given ability or your ability that you've done through training and hard work, you dismiss it by saying, oh, I got lucky, et cetera. Here's where I hear this in the coaching world. This is really interesting, uh, both ends of the spectrum here. I will hear coaches, rightfully so, talk about, hey, if you want to be a good coach, in regards to the X's and O's, not the leadership here. Um, you know, you need to go to clinics. You need to talk to other coaches that are smarter than you. You need to, you need to work on your craft. Become the best coach that you can become because that, or, or you can't help kids. That thumbs up. That that seems right. I know that's right. And then. I promise you that coach will turn around and someone will give them a compliment. Hey, congrats on the conference champs. Congrats on the uh, state leader, whatever. And they will say, it's a very famous saying in the track world, I'm just the bus driver. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) Meaning it ain't what I did. They're they're the ones doing it all. I just drove them to the track meet and they did it. It, to, To me, that is fake humbleness. You are dismissing mm-hmm. the preparation that you put in for the athletes, uh, the work that you have done, et cetera. Yeah. I, I don't know if where the question is here, if it's just why, <laughs> but w- w- why do we do that? Why uh, is it is it a fear of too far to the other side of arrogance? You, you know, someone mm-hmm. gives you a compliment, you're like, well, that's right. I did do this training and blah, blah, blah that's not good either i'm not saying that that's the way to go but why why is it so hard maybe here's the question chris why is it so hard when we receive a compliment as a coach specifically for us to say thank you
2: Mm, that's good that's good uh i think probably most coaches you know like really the entire sport world gets a bad rap because you know you see the one parent fight at the au tournament on you on twitter you know and you forget that that is, that's an anomaly that is not happening at every single tournament. In, in most instances, there's wonderful coach. You see the coach going on a tirade on a kid throwing a baton across the infield, acting like a fool. And that's, that's uh, that's a reality of living in today's day and age that we will see that um, because of social media, mm-hmm. but that is an, anomaly. largely coaching is an altruistic endeavor. Um, you are in it for the good of others. You might love the sport. You might love the competition. You might love a coach that had an impact in your life that made you fall in love with it. Those things will be true, but the outflow of those things speaking into you is that you would like to do the same thing for a young person. You would like to give them an experience that you yourself had, or in some cases you yourself didn't have, and you right. always wished you did. I'm so yep. going to turn around make sure the kids get it as much as you can control it. And so I think it's altruistic in nature. And so I do think there is a, a posture of deflection as a result. You know, you deflect that. Um, I do think that it's important for the kids to see a leader deflecting the credit, sharing the spotlight. Um, I do think that's important. Um, I also think here's here's probably the, the actual answer to that. How do we manage that? The people that are hiring coaches, in my opinion, should be very, very good at celebrating coaches. Um, because these high-powered coaches um on all levels, dynamic leaders, they're super passionate, they're sacrificial, they can do everything except celebrate themselves. They can't celebrate themselves. You just you just gave a great example of how awkward it would be if a coach literally accepted the credit on an interview and said, Yeah, I have worked really hard and I really know my crap. You know, like it just wouldn't ever fly that way. It's the one thing they can't do is celebrate themselves. And so you know, if you're, uh, if you're a, an administrator at a school, if you're an athletic director, um, if you're in a position to hire and place coaches, I would strongly encourage you have a strategy in your mind for how you're going to celebrate those coaches, because it's the one thing that they can't really do for themselves. Everything else they can do for themselves. That's why you hired them. They can't do that. And so I think that's ultimately the answer to being okay with the fact that they're going to deflect the, the praise to the kids in that moment. I
1: tell you, it has changed. This is... With no hyperbole, you know, this is episode number 209. So I've had 209, including you now, Chris, coaches. Actually, it's more because I've had coaching staffs on here. So, you know, we're probably 300 coaches that I've been able to speak to on uh, very in depth. You know, I, I've said this before, this is not an easy podcast to listen to. This ain't your 20 minute podcast, 30 minute podcast. These are, I mean, minimum. We are typically now, we're on the hour and 20 mark already, right here uh, with you, Chris. So these are hard to listen to, harder to listen to. You got to be intentional to listen to an hour or two hours for coaches. And it has changed my life over these 200 to 300 coaches to where, you know, we started this podcast, to Uplift and Honor Track Coaches and what they do for young people in this society and what those kids end up becoming positive members of our society. And, you know, I end every episode the same way, purposefully of being able to thank the coach. Like, hey, you know, I I represent you know, hundreds of kids that didn't say it to you, hundreds of parents that didn't say it to you. Cause you know, for me personally, and for all of us here at Gill athletics, you know, this, this doesn't exist without coaches, <laughs> you know, just, it just doesn't, you know, none of this happens without, without the coaches that are out there. And it is an unbelievable joy to show gratefulness and to show thankfulness and to speak it outwardly. You know, one of the great honors, uh, last year. Yeah. Last year. So 2022, uh, we kicked off that season with Boo Schexnader, great coach at LSU. And during my coaching career, Boo was my mentor. He poured into me. And, uh, I mean, he was just, you know, I am who I am because of Boo and his education. And so. Kind of like when you talked about, uh, um, Billy bills, what, what great name, by the way, thank you. That's an easy name to remember. I appreciate that very much. Uh, you know, to be able to speak back to, you know, your coaches, your coach from uh, up in Pennsylvania, uh, it's a great responsibility. And so to be able to tell them, like, hey, I, pro- I probably have never said this or I've said it in cursory and you deflected it. But now I get to do it in a very public stage here on the podcast with, you know, lots and lots of listeners and watchers and say, thank you. You made my life better. You are one of the pieces of the puzzle that have made me who I am today. And that is where I, to your point about if you're going to hire coaches, be good at celebrating coaches. I think there is some self-worth of us as a track coaching body of celebrating each other. Now, I have seen, and this is different from when I coached, you know, back in my day when I coached before social media, we were more adversarial. And now with social media, it's much easier. And maybe we we weren't adversarial. And to your point about we just get to see things now because of social media, all this stuff probably did happen to your point that, that you know, people fought at track meets 100 years ago. We just see it now because they didn't have Twitter 100 years ago to film it. Right. Uh, so maybe we, we weren't like this, but on Twitter, there is this amazing social media on track and co- track coaches is amazing uplifting of each other. I'll see coaches that are in the same conference, man, you're doing a great job with that athlete, they probably recruited that athlete and lost them. So to me, it's always like, wow. Like you're probably, you know, internally you're probably like, man, that athlete should be at my school doing these things, you know, uh, but it's like you, you, you publicly, say, you know, say you're you're doing a great job with with so and so. Hey, congrats on winning the title! You know, you beat us, and boy, we'll we'll get you next year. It's that's amazing, uplifting each other. Like that is the. Um, abundance mindset right like it's you know gratitude and thankfulness is not a piece of pie so if you get a bigger piece that means someone gets a smaller piece it's this amorphous there is no end to it so gratefulness is 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 uh amplified there's there's more to it there's more for us it does not does not take anything away from you if someone else gets thanked and, and shown gratitude so let us be the catalyst to show that gratitude and, and thankfulness And and I think that might help the again I call it that fake humbleness of just like oh I just drive the bus like no you are important what you do as a coach is important yes the athletes are important and what they did and yes they're the ones who ran the race yes and yes I've heard people like well if my administration didn't allow me to do X Y Z no this would be possible that's correct that's also correct but I'm talking about you right now as the coach what you are doing and do is important and I want to say thanks for that and all I want you to say is thank you back. No, no driving the bus. Just say thank you. That's all I ever asked for, man. I love it. Chris, yeah. man, I'm going to step off my soapbox in a second. Sorry. I just get so passionate about what men and women who are track coaches, what they do, because we just lose. See, I'm going to get back on my soapbox. I'm going to stop. Chris, as we wrap up today, though, uh, first of all, thank you, man. You are awesome. I love your background. It's very, very unique. Uh, it's very uplifting. You know, leadership. It's it, you know, it's not physics, it's not chemistry, it's not math, but man, it's important. And it's it's harder to write the equation of leadership. It's hard to put words and, and visualization to it. And um, I'm so grateful that, you know, you chose this as like a calling for yourself uh, in what you do, um, which makes it harder to have an interview like this sometimes, you know, to, to, to be able to talk like this. So I want to make sure that I'm giving as much value as possible to our listeners. What's something that I didn't ask you that I should have? Or what's something that I missed? What's something else if there is anything that you're like, Hey man, make sure we, we talk to the listeners about this.
2: Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, obviously, you know, Mike does a great job on this podcast. And so Mike, you, you share with me some notes in advance. He gave me a chance to think through some things. And, and so um, here were some things, lessons that either were reaffirmed in um, running uh, a, a track and field cross country program, Um, or they were new lessons that I learned, uh, this year that are unique to, uh, this, this wonderful sport of distance running that I've been coaching. So the first one is, um, consistently consistency, consistency is a superpower. And you might say, well, Chris, what should I be consistent about? You should be consistent about everything. (laughs) Um, your kids need to rely on you. Um, mental health is a real thing nowadays. Emotional health is a real thing nowadays, um, our kids are overconnected, overinformed. They're stressed, and that there's nothing changing that. That that is the reality of living as a teenager in these modern times. They need consistency in their life, and so they need a coach that shows up consistently with a positive emotional posture every day. They need a coach that shows up on time every day. Start practice on time every single day. Uh, they need they need a coach that ends practice on time. I heard a great coaching tidbit once. When you start on time, you show your athletes that what you're about to do is important. And when you end on time, you show your athletes that they're important. And so consistency in every way. Be relentlessly consistent about everything. Second thing is be clear. Um, Again, I came into doing this with no preconceived notions. I I was raw as a blank slate. One of the things that came to the forefront of my study on this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an obsessive reader and learner. Um, is how important it is that athletes know why they're doing what they're doing give them clarity to the workout give them clarity to the strategy for the upcoming race give them clarity on hey here's why it didn't go the way we thought it was going to go or here's why it did go the way we give them clarity around all things and that correlates to the next thing: communication Hmm. be a great communicator Um, don't let kids hang out there wondering what's going on. Don't let parents hang out there, wonder what's going on. And it's hard to do for coaches because you get so down in the weeds thinking about all the little details. You got to get your head up and you got to think about hey, how are my people experiencing my program? Um, and when you start thinking those thoughts, all of a sudden communication becomes really, really important because you understand you're thinking about how they're experiencing it. Well, how do I make sure they experience it the way I want them to experience it? I communicate to them about it. And so Consistency, clarity, communication, and then coach. You are the culture. Mm -hmm. I was listening to the the Maxwell Leadership Podcast driving into school today, uh, and one of the hosts talked to how important it is that leaders live the values. Uh, You are the living, breathing culture, and so if you don't like your culture. I would start really reflecting on what are your behaviors You know, uh, like, like Mike wisely said, this is not finger pointing. This is thumb pointing, you know, uh, and so coach, you got, you got to live your culture. If you want a culture of resilient athletes, you yourself have to be resilient. If you want a culture of disciplined athletes, you yourself have to be disciplined. If you want a culture of unselfish athletes, joyful athletes, then you yourself have to be unselfish and joyful Uh, And so uh, coach never underestimate that, that you are the lived culture. It's not about you. I don't think there's almost any coach listening to this podcast right now that thinks it's about them, Um, but coach, it does start with you. Uh, So it's not about you, but it does start with you. And that is so true about the culture of any program. And so those are just some things, you know, when I reached out to you, Mike on Twitter, I, I told you, I'd love to jump on and just share what I learned unexpectedly coaching and unexpectedly coaching a sport that i had never coached before what did i i learned so much i really did i learned so much and those were some things that really crystallized here's the last c for you and i'm done uh the um northern arizona university um has a uh, a mental coach a mental conditioning coach for their obviously world renowned distance running program uh nau is you know like the alabama football of distance running right yeah. now in the college rank. <laughs> And so uh, they have a mental conditioning coach. Her name escapes me. Go look her up. I'm sorry. I can't remember her name, but I was listening to her on a podcast uh, and she talked about how when she gets runners, uh, I want you to think about the type of athletes that Northern Arizona gets as freshmen, right? You're talking, they get the best distance runners in the country as 18 year olds. The number one thing she has to teach them is not to catastrophize their workout or their race. And it's a word she made up. She admits I made up the word but how quickly a young person's mind going goes to, Hey, I don't belong here. I don't deserve this. I didn't work hard enough. I'm not Mm -hmm. talented enough. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not that. They begin to catastrophize. I should quit. I should never do this again. Right? Like they catastrophize. And I think track and field is a unique sport that pushes kids into that mental framework Mm -hmm. more intensely than others, because you're out there on your own. In most instances, you don't have a teammate, And every time you compete, you are going to spill your guts, right? There's no such thing as competing in track and field and not spilling your guts. It's the nature of the sport. Uh, My son who has been doing this forever. I've never seen him finish a race and he looked normal. Every race he finishes, he looks like he's about to fall apart, right? Like that's just the nature of what he does. And so to catastrophize things is so easy. And yet she goes on to say in this podcast, 99% of the time you're catastrophizing and it's a total lie. You do belong there. You did work hard enough. You are ready for this. It's going to be okay. You shouldn't quit. Keep going, right? And so she's got to train how, if that's true for 18 year olds that are the best of the best being recorded in Northern Arizona university, how much more true is is it for every single other kid that's being coached in the world of track and field? Don't train your kids not to catastrophize anything because we live in a day and age in which the information they consume, it's so dramatic, right? Goat, greatest of all time. They call everything goat, right? <laughs> like every reaction is extreme. And it's true for me too, right? Like I'm not pointing fingers at kids. Like I'm, I'm in this culture too, you know? And so don't catastrophize anything. So those would be the C's of the, the, the learning that I've done this year, uh, that have been, uh, really just a, a wonderful experience for me.
1: I love it. Uh, Last question before we head out for the day. So Chris, you've given us a lot of great books today. Um, And and maybe it's because I, I am a reader. So I always try to like have a book recommendation in there. What is, what is the goat? What is the one book? If you know, you've know given us probably five, six, seven, eight books, and it may be one that you mentioned, and maybe it's one that you haven't mentioned. If we were going to go out right now, we're going to, we, we're going to hit pause on this podcast because we're at the end and we're going to run to our library or to Amazon. And we're going to get one book that you would recommend for track and field coaches. What would that be?
2: Oh, for track and field coaches. Okay, all right. Specifically for track and field coaches. That doesn't a, mean that
1: doesn't mean it has to be about track and field. You know, we mentioned yeah. a good friend of mine, Jay Johnson. You know, he was in the book "Running with the Buffaloes. You mentioned that book earlier. Uh, Jay Jay's another great Twitter follower. By the uh, Twitter follow, by the way, uh, specifically 800 meter now, But Jay's just great. I coached in the same conference as him way back in the day, and was just enamored by him. And he's an amazing human being. Uh, so it doesn't have to necessarily be about track. But you know, when your audience here right today is Track and field coaches, what is it? Could be a leadership, but what is just one? We're, we're it's impossible to ask our people to go out and go get five books from the library right now. So they're going to go out and get one. What's it going to be,
2: Chris? Yeah. Um, coaching leadership, I would say go read "The Motive" by Patrick Lencioni. Um, really, I should have read it twenty years ago. I literally just read it in the last year. Um, and of all the books I've read, I, I never came across it for some reason, and I finally did this year. And it's really turns upside down um, the, the intense responsibility it is to lead. Um, It's not, It really isn't a privilege. Um, It is an intense responsibility. You are going to sacrifice the most. You are going to take the biggest beatings more than anyone else on your team. Uh, You are going to have to work longer than everyone else. You know, leadership is, is not a privilege. Leadership is an enormous responsibility and the privilege is what your people get to go out and do. And so in this context, what your kids go out to do, get to do, that's the privilege setting them up to go out and do that. But man, you've got to bear an enormous responsibility. And so the motive is a, is a, like a modern day parable on a young leader coming to this learning of this is, this is not a privilege. This is an enormous responsibility. And so that's probably one that, um, I I really, um, almost bemoaned reading it so late in my Mm -hmm. educational career so far.
1: The Motive by Patrick Lencioni, which i was still glad that, that you picked a Lencioni book, because again, huge fan of Patrick Lencioni uh, and what he does at the Table Group. And uh, one of the things that we're going through here uh, that I'm leading with our company is The Working Genius by Patrick Lencioni. Yeah. And we've done uh, Ideal Team Player, Five Dysfunctions of Team. He is, and his team is phenomenal. So I love that that was your example. You know, when we started today, a little bit over an hour and a half ago, I told you, I was like, there's going to be chock full of value today. And Chris, to use a baseball analogy, you hit the home run. I mean, just so much value for those who choose to listen today uh, with the podcast. And, and there's so much more to explore. I, I want to know, do you do you have a podcast yourself?
2: <laughs> I do. I'm a little embarrassed because it's like an eight minute leadership thought comes out every Sunday morning. Uh it's called Bite Down and Don't Let Go. Okay. Um it's a, a crazy wild story that comes from my coaching days, but that's the name of the podcast. That's also the name of my blog. And uh it's seven to eight minutes long and it's it's designed to really hopefully put some lightning in the veins of people in regards to leading their own lives. And then, you know, the the down downstream of that is leading other people.
1: Yeah. That's I was gonna encourage you if you didn't, because you know, and don't be embarrassed at seven to eight minutes. See, your, your seven to eight minutes helps balance the average between my two hours. So that's, <laughs> that's perfect. I need more seven to eight minutes out there uh, to make the average down. I was just going to encourage you if you didn't, because, you know, what you speak and how you speak in your experiences, it's really important and it's cross- cross sports right so i mean there's some great football you know i'm thinking of uh, coach kurt hines out in san diego man another great twitter follower i love him to death he's so positive and his faith just exudes him i love him to death there's great baseball people there's great track people um but you know at the end of the day a lot of us are uh not just track people we're you know again we're teachers we're parents we're you know we coach our kids, little league baseball teams, et cetera. So, you know, leadership is universal. It's not sport specific. It's not industry specific. So, you know, what you do and how you lead Chris is extremely important. So um, I was going to encourage you, if you, I was going to talk you into, if you didn't have your own podcast to create one. So I'm glad you do bite down and don't let go. So whatever podcast app you're using right now to listen to this one, uh, as soon as you're done, just go in your little search bar and type bite down and don't let go and subscribe to Chris's podcast. Obviously, if you made it this far an hour and a half, listening to Chris, <laughs> you obviously received value. Go get more value every Sunday on the uh, bite down and don't let go podcast. Chris, man. Thank you so much. I am just so grateful. This uh, is 100 times better than I even would have dreamed that this conversation could have been. You know, a big passion of mine is to give value to track and field coaches that are out there. And again, we hit it out of the park. I think there's a lot of of stuff for people to to think about. Like these aren't just, you know, these these weren't just orders like, oh, just do X, Y, and Z and you'll be a leader. These were like, hey, you got to maybe fundamentally change how you think about things and how you act towards things hit me upside the head uh, of the three P's positive. Um, uh, Can even read my own handwriting responses to negative circumstances? That's a big, like, Ooh, like if that don't hit you hard, that may need to hit you hard like literally if that didn't hit you it may need that like you may need that to hit you more than than to someone else so uh chris just so thankful for you man thanks for popping on at such short notice uh to get this done and I'm just uh you know this will be a podcast that people uh need to listen to twice and three times and four times uh, maybe the beginning of your season every year this is one that you, you kind of pop on and and listen and remind yourself of the leadership and the responsibility uh that you have towards these young people out there because it's there's no one else else doing to it. you you're the one that's responsible for doing it and we need you and they need you uh every single day so chris man thank you so much i'm so grateful for you
2: mike let me point the finger at you and say thank you uh for what you're doing to encourage coaches uh coaches um it, it it's always about more than just sports so thank you uh for filling this in important role in really the life of our our society. So thank you, coaches. Mike, thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's a real honor, man. Appreciate you. Thanks for coming in and listening again. Uh, hop on next week. We're going to do it all over again. And uh, this will be a tough act to follow here, but we'll we'll give her a try. Thanks a lot and have a great week, everybody.